So uh, we're going to take on a, a new subject today. Uh, could be a touchy subject for some, shouldn't be, but could be. And so I pray today we're going to talk about this subject because this is one of the questions that was asked many times um, that uh, this is, could be a subject, like I said, it could be touchy, but we're going to believe that God's going to give us wisdom. And uh, we speak these things not from a, a wrong attitude, but from an attitude of humility. And if we all go in this together to learn and to be humble with each other and try to see each other's point of view, then it will work out kind of like Christians are supposed to. Uh, to approach these things with a humble attitude, not pride, because uh, pride won't help anything, uh, but a humble attitude to learn from God's Word. So, today we're going to talk about race and redemption. Race and redemption. So, the question was asked many times uh, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, some of those other uh, ways that we ask questions was, uh, what should I think about the race issue in the United States? Or what should I think about all the things going on in this country? How should we deal with this? How should we handle this? As believers, how should we think about this? So that's what we're going to talk about today. You guys excited? Yes, Amen. Sir. All right, we can, we can make it through to the other side. Because um, this is important and we need to talk about it. It's important to talk about this. So we're going to talk about race and redemption. Now, once again, what's important about these questions is not what I think. And not what you think. <laughs> What's important is what does the Bible say about this? And we need to know what does God say we should think about this? How should, how should we approach this as a believer, not as a white person or a black person or a Hispanic person or an Asian person or a Native American person? No, how should I look at this through the eyes of God on how he sees race and how he sees people? And what does the Bible say? And I know a lot of you already kind of think that way, but uh, we're going to share some things today. Hopefully, we'll challenge you. And um, and then uh, towards the end, I, I asked Justin to come and help me uh, do part two of this and to kind of share some things on his heart about what he's experienced and kind of his story and some things that he's learned. So that's what we're going to do today. So I'm going to have the first half. Justin's going to have the second half. And then we're going to pray at the end together. So let's turn to Galatians 3. Galatians 3. And we'll start there in the New Living Translation. So how should we think about race and what's happening in this country in the eyes of God and uh, through the lens of redemption and as believers? That's what we are in here. And uh, something before we read Galatians 3 and 26 in the New Living is that, that my dad, a lot of you know who my dad is, uh, Dr. Jacobs, who pastored this church for the past 30 years, um, he prophesied about this a long time ago, that the race issue was not over in the United States. Now, it should be over for believers, but he said it's not over in the United States. Now, he prophesied that like 20 years ago. And just to be honest, I know a lot of us in here probably thought the race issue was over just by the fact that President Obama was the president. We're thinking we have an African-American president. The race issue should be over, right? We were wrong. Uh, it's never been worse right now in the history of America uh, with what's going on in the, this country and the racial tensions and the, the protests and the shootings and everything else. So we need to talk about this. So apparently we learned our lesson by not talking about it didn't fix it. By having an African-American president didn't fix it. We thought it would. Uh, so we need to talk about this. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's go into it with a humble attitude. Like I said, Galatians 3, verse 26 in the New Living Translation. It says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all have you, you have been unified with Christ in baptism and have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And verse 28, it says, There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham, and you are heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. But notice it says that in Christ now, it doesn't matter whether you are Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and the point is we are all God's children. We are all God's children. And so, as a believer, we shouldn't see people in classes or systems or race or religion 
or anything like that because it says we are all God's children. And that's the foundation we're going to start with, and we're going to talk about that verse later on uh, today. So race and redemption, how should we think about this? Well, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning because you've got to go back to the beginning to see how this problem got started. Now, we see in Genesis, Adam and Eve uh, were in the garden. God told them not to do something. There was only one thing he told them not to do. They could have everything else, but like human beings, we are dumb. And they went to the one tree they couldn't have when they had all the fruit in all of the world to themselves. They went to the one tree. And so when they ate the tree, it said that sin came into mankind, and from then on, man began to die. Not just die physically, but he died spiritually that day. And Adam and Eve, as soon as they sinned, notice what happened. Division started between people because of sin. As soon as sin came into the planet, Adam and Eve turned on each other. They didn't like each other anymore. It was Adam's fault. It was Eve's fault. You made me do it. You made me eat it. It's your fault. This is why we got kicked out of the garden. Division started not over where you should eat on a Friday night. It started over sin in the garden. And as soon as sin came into the human heart, division and strife came into the human heart. And they turned against one another. Husband and wife turned against one another because of Sin in the human heart. So racism, prejudice, division, strife is a sin issue and it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. That's why you can make laws in this country to change people, but they will never change if their heart doesn't change. Because it's a heart issue. It's a sin issue. And until you change people's heart, doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter how many protests you have, doesn't matter how many laws you change, people will remain the same and be full of division and strife and prejudice and racism until their heart gets changed. And the only person that can change their heart is God. So, we see that when uh, sin came, division came. We see that their children, Cain and Abel, brother to brother, Killed the other brother. We're talking the first couple pages of your Bible. When sin came, division came. And notice, brother killed brother. Brother killed brother. That's what's happening today. Black killing white, white killing black, black killing black, Asian killing Asian, Hispanic killing. And they're all related. They're all in the same family. They're all brothers and sisters. And they don't realize just because of a little skin difference, they're all still brothers and they're all still family. And it happened in Genesis and it's been happening ever since because it was a sin issue. It's a heart issue. And until you deal with that, notice that we will continue to kill each other. Sometimes verbally kill each other. Physically kill each other. We've seen that like never before in our country with with violence and with shootings and pointless Shootings and violence. Because it's a sin issue. Division, strife is a sin issue. It's a heart issue. Until you change people's heart, this issue will never change. Now the good news is for us, our hearts should be changed in here. Should be. But we still need to talk about this. Because we need to deal with the issues that are in our heart. And we see that when sin came, notice it turned husband against wife, male versus female, Brother versus brother, race, religion, nation, tribe. It was constantly fighting amongst each other as soon as sin came into the world. And it's still like that today. As you watch the news for five seconds, you will realize that not just this country, but every nation and tribe in the world is fighting somebody. Unless you're Switzerland, you're fighting somebody. Let's just all just move to the Swiss Alps. Say, hey, we're, we're peace. We're all about peace, guys. I just want to live in the Alps and, and enjoy the snow. Peace. Unless you're Switzerland, you're fighting somebody today. Now, that's not the heart of God, but why is that there? It's a sin issue. And sin causes division and strife and race and prejudice towards one another. This is interesting. We see that. Uh, just even in the book of Genesis, we see people already splitting up into different categories. So you're part of this tribe, so you're not as good as this tribe over here. Or this tribe's better than this tribe. And then nation versus nation. 
collar versus collar. That was never God's plan. That was never God's intent. But you see that even in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, people breaking up into these tribes and sections and nations and coming against each other already because it's a sin issue. Sin causes division. But we see this in the book of Exodus. At the very beginning of your Bible, the book of Exodus is one of the first recordings of this. We see that the Egyptians, who were different than the Hebrew people, God's people, put them into slavery and bondage because they were different than they were. Come on now, somebody. And we see this. This is not a new issue. This is an old issue. It just never got fixed. And in the the first couple pages and chapters of your Bible, you see this. And into Exodus, you see the division and strife. And you see one race of people dominating another race of people in the book of Exodus. We know the story about Moses. A lot of us in here know that. Moses, who who was uh, Hebrew, but he grew up in Pharaoh's house. And Pharaoh was... Uh, the king of the Egyptian people. They were different than the Hebrew people. They looked a little bit different. They prayed to different gods. They thought differently. But notice, Pharaoh and the Egyptian people thought that they were superior to another race of people just based off the color of their skin or who they prayed to and tried to put them into bondage. And they were in slavery for all those years until Moses freed God's people. So we see that this issue has been all the way since the beginning. And we see in the book of Exodus that this already started. People trying to dominate other people based off of whether that's religion or based off of the color of their skin or just because they're different. They speak a different language than you. We see this domination starting of other people. And it's not God's will. And it's not right in the eyes of God. But we see this happen. Why? Because of sin. Happened because of sin. Now you with me today. Just trying to give you a little history of what it says in the Bible. We could say a lot more. Let's look over at Acts 17 and verse 26. I believe that you're going to receive something today. Hopefully gain some knowledge and some insight on this issue and how to think of it in light of the Bible and in the eyes of God. So Acts 17, and we're going to read in verse 26. So we see that this is a heart issue, and we need to deal with it in our heart. Acts 17, and verse 26, this is the New Living Translation. It says in Acts 17, 26, it says, From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And he decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall. And he determined their boundaries. Now he's talking about God here. Paul's talking about God. He's preaching to this group of people. And he says from one's man, one man or one blood, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And he decided beforehand when they should rise, when they should fall, and determine their boundaries. So we need to realize this. This is kind of a foundation thought that all of us came from the same person. I wish I would get a better amen in here. We all came from the same person. It says in God's word that we all came from Adam. He talked about that one man. All of us came from Adam. And we're all related. That's why we're brothers and sisters. And he says we all came from the same blood. We all came from the same man. So it doesn't matter the the color of our skin or what language we speak or where we came from. We are all in the same family and we are all equal in the eyes of God. And so the color of our skin or the the way we talk or where we're from or whether we're from a religious background or we're poor or or we're rich it does not matter what matters is we're all from the same man which is Adam one man we all came from the same blood one blood and we're all in this together and if we're going to see it in the way that God sees us we are all equal and we're all created in the image and likeness of God and how many of you appreciate that we're all not the same How boring would this world be if everyone looked the same and talked the same and acted the same? It would be a boring world. And I love God because God is the ultimate creator and he likes diversity. 
And so he, he gave us differences, and differences are good for us. And we should not judge people off just a little bit of skin, but if you cut them, notice it's all the same blood. You don't cut somebody and they got a different color blood. When you cut somebody, the blood is red. Because we all came from the one man in the same blood, and that is from Adam. And ultimately, we came from God. And so we don't need to let just a color of your skin change the way you see about one another. You realize you could change that. Sit out in the sun all summer. And you know, there's people in other countries that literally bleach and dye dye their skin so they can be more white. Isn't that hilarious? Other countries bleach their skin so they can be more white. In America, we sit out in the sun so we can be more dark. It's just skin. And that can even be changed with technology these days. And we're fighting over skin. When we all came from the same man and we're part of the same family. And I heard uh, John Gray say this. Some of you know who John Gray is. He said, the only color that should matter to us is the color red, which is the color of the blood. Because that's what holds us together. We're all in this together. We're all equal in the eyes of God. We all come from the same family. And when you cut us all, we all bleed red. And so God, it says through Paul, he said, God created everyone and all the nations through one man. And he decided where they would live, their boundaries. He decided, and I've said this before, but he decided that we would live in the day and age we live in. Why are we in southern Indiana in 2017? You didn't choose it. God did. He even chose things like that. But notice it was God who did this and he created every nation, every tribe, every color, every background from one man. He created. So we're all from the same family. We're all from the one man, Adam, and we all have the same blood. You realize uh, when you go to the doctor, if you're in an emergency, they don't ask you, um, well, is this, is this a, a black person's blood or is this a white person's blood or is this a Native American person's blood or, or is this a Hawaiian Islanders person's blood? Is this a Hispanic person's blood? If someone's dying, it's all the same blood and they put blood into their body to bring them back to life. They don't ask what color you came from because the blood is the same. And it works just as good. Because we came from the same man and from the same blood. You guys get something today. In Revelation, it says this. At the end of Revelation, you could just write this down. Uh, it says, um, John, who is the apostle who wrote Revelation, he sees a vision of heaven. And when he sees a vision of heaven, he says that he sees every tribe, every nation, Every tongue, that's every language being spoken there. Every color of people. And he sees them at the end of time and they're all worshiping God in heaven. So if you don't like people that are different than you, you're not going to like heaven. You might want to consider going to the other place. <laughs> and just to let you know, there's going to be people of every race and nation from the other, in the other place too. But he says at the end of time in Revelation in heaven that there's going to be every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every color, every background, all together worshiping God in heaven. And we should have a church that looks like heaven. We should be people that act like heaven, that have relationships with people that are different than we are. I believe with all my heart that that this church, and I know we've seen it to some level, but we want it even more in the future. We want to be not just a multi-generational church, which we are. We want to be a multi-racial church. Because we want to be a church that looks like heaven. And I've said jokingly, and this is where the white people get sensitive, Lord knows we don't need any more white people. We need some African Americans around here. Come on, I preached ten times better if I'd had a, a few here with me. 
We need some more Asian people. We need some more Native American people. We need some more Middle Eastern people. We need some more Russian people. We need some more people that are different than we are because we want to be a church that looks like heaven. I'm just thinking about this. We believe God for years for people uh, from all over for God to send us people. Here's one right on the front row. God sent us somebody from Nigeria. Come on, aren't you glad that Anthony's in our church? And we love you, Anthony, and we're glad you're here. He's a part of our family. But think of it. How did somebody from Nigeria get to southern Indiana? I can see how you could get to New York or L.A. or Indianapolis. or. But southern Indiana, how did you end up here? God. God knew where to send him. But we should be a church that looks like heaven. Multi-generational, multi-racial and that's what it's going to be in the end of time. It's going to be every tribe, every nation, every language, every color, all together, worshiping God. You guys get something today so far? Just trying to ex- express what, what's on my heart about this. So let's go back to Galatians 3. I want to share a couple more things with you, and then we'll let Justin come up and, and share some things from his heart. But let's think about how we treat people. Um, today, I don't want to just make it, it's not just a black and white issue. That's, um, that's something that we see on the news more than others. But really in this country, there's a lot of hatred for Hispanic people these days. And we need to deal with that because a lot of us in here have prejudiced attitudes in our heart. A lot of us don't say them because we know better. But even if it's in your heart, it shouldn't be there. You need to deal with it. Uh, or, or there will even be comments that are made about certain people or certain races. Or, you know, you'll hear a comment, you know, all Hispanics are like this, fill in the blank. That's a racist comment. All African Americans are fill in the blank. That's a racist comment. And I know people have said it jokingly. And the thing is with some of those stereotypes, the reason stereotypes are funny is because there's usually partially true in that, like, You know, let's just use this for example. All white people can't dance. Okay? Racist comment, everybody. No. Okay, that's a stereotype. That's a stereotype. Now, the reason it's funny is because most people that are white can't dance. (laughs) But for the white people that can dance, like myself, it's offensive. Very offensive. So... But even comments like that we can make, we need to judge ourselves, are those racist comments? So some of the things I'm going to say in a moment here, and even Justin, we're not trying to be political. Uh, We're not trying to say we're Republican or Democrat or anything else and try to take sides. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying, let's think of it in the eyes of God, the way he thinks about it. So with this country, we realize that there's not just a black and white issue, but especially these days with uh, the Hispanic community, especially people coming from Mexico, that's a big issue. A lot of people have a lot of hatred towards people that are from Mexico, whether they came here legally or, or not, just because they're different than they are. And a lot of times they don't speak the same language. And we could judge those people. We could judge those people. And to be honest, a lot of times people like that come from another country. They work harder than we do that are Americans for less money, and they're not treated as good. And we're complaining, and they're the ones helping build our society. Okay. I'm just saying, I believe people should come here legally, and I believe whether that's from Mexico or Europe or everywhere else, But still, the point is true. We need to judge ourselves how we treat other people and how we look down on other people, even based off of the language. I've heard people say smart aleck comments to to, uh, uh, Hispanic people just because they speak Spanish, like they're dumb for speaking Spanish. That's the language they know. Just like you know English. Like if they don't speak English, they're a dumb person. Little comments we make like that, that is not the heart of God. Um. 
so it's not just an African-American white thing. There's Hispanics and all sorts of different races. And I want to mention something in, the, in a moment about, about another group of people that we could have an attitude towards. But we see this all throughout the Bible, especially in the teachings of Jesus. God always takes note on how we treat the people that are less fortunate than we are. And actually, he's very strong about it. A lot of churches don't even mention that kind of stuff, but he talks a lot about, in the Bible, read it, he talks a lot about how you treat the poor, how you treat the hurting, how you treat the lonely, how you treat the disadvantaged, how you treat the immigrant. The Bible says that. And, and says that you will be judged by the way that you've treated them because you are treating them when you have a position to do something about it and don't do anything about it and mistreat those people. That's sin. That's sin. And so that's the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus. He said that he takes note on how we treat people that are different than us. Especially those that are, like I said, Hurting, lonely, disadvantaged, a minority, an immigrant, people that maybe don't have the same privileges or standings than we do, God pays attention to that, and he cares about how we treat those kind of people. And we'll be judged for how we treated those type of people. And like he says, you need to treat people the way that you would want to be treated. If the roles were reversed, how would you want it to be? Here's another thing, um, and, and since we're talking about the bigger issue of racism and prejudice, uh, we talked about some different categories of people, but what about Middle Eastern people? Now, that's the main thing. A lot, a lot of us have issue because of 9-11, uh, because of terrorist attacks. A lot of us, because of what we see on the news, we're afraid. We're afraid of people that are Middle Eastern or from backgrounds like that, and I know why, because the media just fills us full of this, that we think every person who's Muslim or who's Middle Eastern is a terrorist and wants to blow us up. And that's not the case. It's not the case. But we need to judge our hearts. Do we have attitude towards those people? Do we make comments about those people? And I know even myself, I've been on an airplane before with somebody who got on with a turban and it's Middle Eastern. And you know what? I was fearful for a moment. Just to be honest, I didn't say anything negative or, or racist towards that person, but because the media has portrayed that, you can be fearful of those people. Knows when we're in fear about people like that or anybody, we act out in things like prejudice and racism because we don't want them near us. So we, to push them away because of fear, uh, we make comments like that. So even judge your heart about people from a Middle Eastern background. Maybe there could be some things in our heart about that. Now, I'm going to tell you a big shocking statement. Now, this is going to be a statement uh, that some of you are just going to fall out. You ready for this? Jesus wasn't white. Jesus wasn't black. Jesus was a Middle Eastern man <laughs> who lived in Israel which is nowhere near southern Indiana. So all the pictures you see of Jesus with uh, blue eyes and blonde hair who looked like he just came out of a California surfing catalog, <laughs> that's not what Jesus really looks like in real life. And we need to be honest, all the people we say that we're looking up to, he's our Savior, he's our Lord, he doesn't look the way we think in our heads the way he should look. Because if we saw Jesus, and we will see Jesus face to face one day, he is not a white person or a black person or an Asian person. He's a Middle Eastern person who probably looks like some of the terrorists we see on TV. I know it's hard to take, but it's true. I mean, that's what the Bible says. That's He came from... Uh, the nation of Israel, God's Hebrew people. He lived in that part of the world. Uh, so think about that. Even our Savior and Lord is Middle Eastern. And I think some of us would be shocked when we see him face to face because he might not look the way that we think he should look. So notice if you have an attitude towards them, 
Jesus said, the way that you treat them is the way you treat me. <laughs> what you do to the least of these people is what you do to me. How you love these people that are different than you is the way you love me. That's what he said. And I'm not saying I'm great at it by being up here talking about it. I'm saying this is something that we need to deal with and work on. But even our Savior and Lord, notice he's Middle Eastern. We need to think about that. And realize that he would, might look different than the way we think. So when we judge people that look a certain way or say, well, you know, they must hate us because they're Muslim or they must do this because they're Middle Eastern or they must be like this because they're Hispanic or Asian or black or whatever or white, those attitudes and comments and heart has no place in the life of a believer. No place. Um, now, in Galatians 3 and 26, it says we are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. And we've all been uni- unified with Christ in baptism and put on Christ like new clothes. Verse 28, there is no, no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, uh, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this scripture is implying because even in Paul's day, they had this issue. That's why he says it. They had racism in Paul's day thousands of years ago. They had prejudice. And notice he even covers the big things that we still have issues with. Male versus female. That's a big issue just in this country. Tension there. Shouldn't be in the life of a believer. Male versus female. Slave or free. Jew or Gentile. Which Jew or Gentile can mean multiple things. Not just religious and non-religious. Or different religions. But he's talking about different races. Jew and Gentile. They're different. Greek or Hebrew. Same similar uh, thing in that time there was different races different backgrounds and he says it doesn't matter what your religion is or your race is or uh, where you came from or they even had slavery back then whether you're slave or free what matters is that you're part of Christ's family and the other part of Christ's family should treat you like that because we are all children of God through faith we are all children of God through faith so we need to judge our, ourselves and our hearts with the attitudes, comments, and the things that are in our heart towards people because we should see it in the eyes of God, how God sees it. And God sees us all as one, all as family, all as brothers and sisters. So um, I'm going to read a couple quotes in a moment, but let me kind of tell you my life story. No, you don't got time for my life story. So... Um, just to, to tell you, growing up, I mean, my life, um, my parents, of course, always said that to me, whether that was a race thing or it was a financial thing or any other thing that, hey, you never need to be prejudiced. You never need to be racist. You never need to have any attitudes because we're all equal. God wants us to treat everybody equal. So, so growing up, as you know, my two best friends, one of them's right here, uh, one was African-American and one was Puerto Rican. So... I definitely didn't have a race problem. I had what they called a a reverse race problem. I was mad that I was white. (laughs) But I liked everybody else. (laughs) You're laughing, but it was kind of true during that period of time in my life. That was like middle school and high school. So uh, growing up, my my life, I I never felt racist, and I don't think I am today either, prejudiced, because I always had people from all different backgrounds, all different cultures around me. Like I said, my two best friends were Puerto Rican and African-American. So if I had an issue, uh, it probably would have came up. Uh, but, but I haven't. But what I've learned over the years is, um, especially more recently, is there's certain things that I understand and I deal with as a white person who lives in the suburbs compared to other races and other people. Let me tell you what that means. There's something that's kind of been a buzzword the past couple years, especially in this country, talking about race issue, the race issue, and it's called white privilege. White privilege. Now, let me tell you what I think that means. Now, everybody just take a deep breath and calm down, okay? White privilege. That's what, this is what it means to me, and this is the way you should see it. Speaking to my white, fellow white people in here. White privilege. This is what it means to me. First of all, it does not mean that you have to apologize for being white because you didn't choose to be born white. 
because I wouldn't have chose that. No, <laughs> I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm glad that God created me the way I am. Yeah, he created me wonderfully. And Okay, I'm over it. So God, he chose whatever background or uh, ethnicity or race that we're from. So white privilege does not mean you need to apologize for being white because you did not choose that. You don't have to feel bad for being white because that's what a lot of people, even on the news, will almost imply. Like, you got to apologize for just being white. That's not what it means. But what it means is this. Now, hear me, white people. This is the only time I can really say that and mean it. <laughs> hear me, white people. <laughs> this is what white privilege means to me, and you guys need to think about this. It needs to be a place where you understand by the fact that you were born white in this country... You have certain privileges and certain rights, and people see you differently than other races just by the fact that you're white. And being understanding and humble enough to understand that, so when somebody from another race tells you what they're going through, you don't say, get over it, stop being a victim. What's the matter with you? You're always going to play the race card. You're always going to be the minority playing that card. That's not compassion, and that's not the heart of God. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? So white privilege in my head, this is what it means. Not that you have to apologize for the way you were born, but you do have to be humble, keyword, humble enough to admit by the fact that you're white in this country, you do have certain privileges and advantages by the fact that you're born white. And that wasn't your choice. And especially those of us who have uh, some money, you know, white and live in the suburbs, you're even in a different category than somebody who's white and who doesn't have much money. There's certain things you don't have to think about. There's certain fears that you don't have that other people of different races have because of the color of their skin. Do you guys hear what I'm saying today? So that's what white privilege is, and we need to understand that. And I would feel like, even though I don't feel like I've ever been prejudiced or racist towards anyone my whole life, I've always loved different cultures and different people. But I realized over the past few years, I haven't been as compassionate and as thoughtful and as humble with other people that are not like me because I didn't realize some of the privileges I have just from being white. Are you understand what I'm saying? So we need to choose to have a humble view when we think about other people. There's two words I was thinking of, compassion and empathy. Compassion and empathy. Compassion means that you have such a strong love for someone, you want to alleviate their suffering. These are the two words that I feel come to mind when thinking about how should we respond to other people. Compassion, once again, compassion is a feeling of love that you want to alleviate someone else's suffering who's suffering, who's going through something that's maybe not like you. But empathy says that you identify with others' point of view and perspective, even though it's different from you. Kind of like that old saying, you can't judge somebody if you haven't walked a mile in their shoes. It's easy for me to say certain things as a white person in the suburbs when I haven't walked a mile in a a Hispanic's shoes. It's easy for me to make just a, a statement on Facebook like I know what I'm talking about. It's easy for me to just judge an African-American when they say that they're going through this and maybe they feel targeted by a police officer. Maybe they feel targeted in their community. And them being able to say that without a white person responding back to it like, get over it. That's not the heart of God. Because that's not being and showing empathy. Empathy is saying, I might not live where you live or understand what you're going through, but I'm going to choose to identify with you And listen to your point of view and perspective and try to see it from your point of view, what you're going through. And when you do that, notice the outflow of that is compassion towards other people. You want to help. You want to love them. You want to alleviate their suffering instead of judging them. Uh, I have a couple quotes for you, but one of them is something I heard recently that Carl Lentz, who pastors Hillsong, New York City, said. And he says that justice will never be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now that's exactly what I was talking about with white privilege. Things will never change in our country unless people that aren't dealing with those issues, like myself, are as just as outraged and want to do something as somebody who's actually going through that. 
Once again, it's easy to say, get over it when it's not your family. It's easy to say, toughen it up when it's not your son. It's easy to say, deal with it when it's something that you don't have to deal with. That's why it says here, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now let me, uh, I want to read something else to you too before we have Justin come up here. Did you guys get something today? Talking about race and redemption. How should we think about this from a biblical perspective? How does God see it? Now, Pastor Jordan Smucker, you know, he's been to this church before. He pastors up in Ohio. And he is, he's uh, also a white male uh, who lives in the suburbs. He pastors a church up there. But he was addressing these issues with especially our country and uh, especially like Black Lives Matter and the different things that have gone on in our country. And he wrote this about it, and it was very um, just spot on the heart of God. Now, he's a white person, once again, from the suburbs, but showing, notice, empathy and compassion for people that are not like him. Now, listen to me, everybody here, because this applies to everybody that's here, white or black or whatever race and background you're from. He says here, when my son falls on the driveway and his knees are bleeding, I run to his side. Often, my daughter will run as fast as I can beside me. Never once have I ever heard Sophie, that's his daughter, complain that I favor Judah over her because we're the same family. If my foot is hurting and I don't stop and think, if I support my foot, will my hand be offended because we're the same body? Listen to this. The acknowledgement that black lives matter, or you could fill in the blank, any of the, the things we talked about today, is not an indifference towards every other race. Are you here? It's the understanding that part of our body and our family is hurting. Racism is still alive and may always be alive, but it, will, it should not be within Christ's body. There is no place for a follower of Christ to ignore the pain and systematic suffering of our own body. I ask that you begin with an open mind because I didn't always have one. That's from Jordan Smucker. He says, Jesus' answer to who is my neighbor is simply yet more profound. Be a neighbor. So, that's my heart. That's my uh, plea to this church and our church family. What he said, the things we talked about today. But to show empathy and compassion. See it from their perspective. Try to understand it from their perspective. But don't just stay there. Be compassionate to other people that aren't like you. That's how things get healed. Especially those of us in here who have uh, rights or privileges that other people don't have. You have a responsibility to speak up. You have a responsibility to step out. You have a responsibility to do something about it. Especially of those of us who have that. Did you guys get something today? So I'm going to ask for Justin to come up here for a second. And I just want to tell you before Justin comes up here, I love Justin. Um, uh, I respect him highly. I respect what he's going to say. I know he's somebody who doesn't just um, have a story about this, but I know he stays current with reading up on what's going on in our country and our nation. And I think he's a very smart man, spiritual man. So I love him. So let's welcome Justin as he comes up here this morning. Um, sorry, let me collect myself. That was good stuff. Good stuff. I'll definitely be, uh, uh, sharing, uh, what you shared this morning with everybody, um, that I work with and my family. I know I've already told a couple people about today, um, not just because I'm speaking, but, um, we're speaking and we're speaking into some things that, uh, Hopefully, we can continue speaking about in the future. Um, So I just want to start with thanking Pastor Jordan for giving me the opportunity um, to speak and not being afraid to tackle uh, these tough subjects because they are tough subjects. Um, uh, Sorry. Um, But Pastor Jordan kind of hit on it. We need to stay, um, I call it the two Bs, not Triple B, like the Ball family, um, that's out right now. Sorry, bad basketball joke. Um, but the two Bs is biblical 
and balanced. Biblical and balanced. Um, this is a huge subject. Um, like Pastor Jordan said as well, um, this isn't political. This isn't a political message. Um, but the race issue touches a lot of different aspects of life. Um, and part of it is politics. Um, so this is, this is a big subject. Um, but we're going we're gonna to kind of skim into a little bit of it. So everybody just take a deep breath. All right, we're going, we're going, we're going to talk about some things. Um, so if you guys can turn to Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. And I'll be reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, it's one of my favorites as well as the NLT. Um, but just so you know, if it's a little different, um, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. And I wanted to kind of tell us a story to, to start. Um, about a year or so back, I was loading coffee. I'm a, a coffee roaster, roaster operations manager, close coffee. I was loading coffee into my, to my car to go ship it. Um, and I was kind of blocking the alley. And one of my coworkers was taking out some trash. And she came in when I was going out. And she said, I just got catcalled. I was like, gosh, okay. So I knew what vehicle he was in. And I wasn't smart because uh, I loaded the coffee in my car, moved it up out of the way, and he was a couple cars back. One of those weird things, alleys are never really traffic until, like, you know, stuff's backed up. But anyway, so me being the, you know, polite Christian guy, I guess, um, I basically, you know, kind of looked as he was driving his truck down the alley and, you know, kind of made a comment like, come on, man, do better, like, be better, come on. And um, as he passed me, he said, um, called me the N-word, and he said, get back in that kitchen. And the rage that filled my heart, it was rough. So, of course, the next logical step is not to, to go back in, right? It's to follow the guy that just, you know, <laughs> called you out, right? It makes sense. So here I am, black guy in uh, southern Indiana, walking down an alley after a guy driving a, a truck. And I, I do believe that God protected me that day because um, he kept driving. Um, I never caught up with him. I don't know what I would have done if I did because <laughs> I don't know what he had in the car. Um, but with that story, um, racism is learned. We all start, we all come from people, and we don't have racism in us or privilege or prejudice or a bunch of the different words. Um, it's learned. And so w the thing that I've learned is to attach humanity to those that, to my enemies, attach humanity to my enemies. And and just to, just to know that he is a person, too. I mean, I could have went on about my day, offended the whole day, offended into the week, and it only would have affected me. He probably went down to the Circle K, downtown New Albany, bought a pack of cigarettes, and was just living his life. No, no problem. But for me to have been offended and to, obviously, that day I was affected. But for me to have kept going with that offense would have only hurt me. And so with that, we don't have a privilege of being colorblind anymore. We, we can't not talk about politics. Yeah, it's a touchy subject, but we, can't, we don't have the privilege of doing that. That's something that, that people that are kind of, you know, off and, you know, I don't see race. No, let's, let's celebrate our diversity. Let's celebrate who we are. We can't just be colorblind anymore. And I wanted to kind of touch on prejudice versus racism real quick before we, we go further. Prejudice, the definition is preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. Again, it's a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. Compared to racism, racism is when you attach that prejudice to power. So... For instance, when you're able to enact laws that negatively affect minorities, 
people that don't look like you, people that are different. Examples of Hitler, Germany, South African apartheid, India. India has a, a color problem as well. The thing about America is that we've had 300 years plus of slavery that have gone into even more so where we have now private prisons and voting laws that affect others. And have we really talked about it? So I've come to the conclusion a while back that the real question is, um, with this political cycle, um, our current president, his tag phrase was, make America great again. The other side, Hillary, had a, a different opinion. And um, she said, America's always been great. But I would say, was America ever really great? Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. It's a spiritual issue. It's a heart issue, like Pastor Jordan said. Um, if you guys want to turn to, as well, Galatians five, thirteen through 15. Only a couple of pages over. When you're there, say, yeah. If you need a little bit more time, say, hold up. All right, then. I ain't got a lot of time. So one thing, we sometimes we don't really delve into this. Um, and I'm actually going to just hit these real quick um, for time's sake. But Galatians 5, 13 through 15 says, for you were called to be free, brothers, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. So America's history, 1776, the Declaration of Independence. American Indians were labeled merciless Indian savages. So, honestly, when you look in the mirror, the Declaration of Independence is inherently racist. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. I'll just touch on that verse in 14. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Constitution, 11 years later, it excludes Indians, excludes American Indians, states that blacks are three-fifths of a person, and doesn't even mention women. Again, our Constitution is inherently racist. We can go on down the line. We have the Homestead Act. We have the 13th Amendment, which I would say doesn't abolish slavery but redefines it. The first six words of the 13th Amendment, neither slavery nor involitude servitude except, except, where we have now, in this day and age, where minorities are three times incarcerated. The GI Bill, it goes on and on. We're going to fast forward through. The, I have some other stuff written down, but honestly, I mean, we could fast forward through um, the, the KKK, um, segregation, um, to the recent um, uh, murders of Philando Castile, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Trayvon Martin, sorry, um, and I could go on, um, but you get the point. It can get, can get a little overwhelming. Um, and so if you guys could also turn with me, uh, I guess one of my last scriptures, Luke 10, 25 through 36. Um, because I want to get to some responses that we can have. Um, and this is, I think, the biggest example of what we can be, how we can learn. Luke 10, 25 through 36, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, 
says, just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answered, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So he was really getting to the heart of the question. Like he's trying to draw a line like Jesus, the, the Indian guy at the gas station. Do I have to do I have to be nice to him? My neighbor, that's a different color. Do, do I have to really? Can I just blow my leaves on his side of the yard? <clears throat> Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up and fled, leaving half, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Compassion, mercy, empathy. Jesus told him, go and do the same. That's what I love about Jesus. A lot of these stories, Jesus is such a G. Jesus is such a gangster. Like, he totally flipped the script on this guy. The guy said, who's my neighbor? He was trying to draw a line. Who is my neighbor? Who do I, what, you know. And Jesus flipped the script, and he answered with, how can this guy be a loving neighbor? Not who's my neighbor, not can we define this, but how can I be, how can we be loving neighbors? And so real quick, I just had three responses for um, minorities, for whites, and then also as the church. So for minorities, I would say two things. Number one, self-care. A lot of times in this day and age, stuff is coming at you. Stop, take a breath, pray, read, draw a bath, get a massage, whatever you have to do, but you matter. Like DJ Khaled said, you smart, you's important, you's very smart, we can, we can keep going on. But the other thing I would say is Colossians 3.13 says, accepting one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has complained against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Again, going back to my Ali story, staying offended only hurts yourself. You have to forgive. If stuff is said against you, if stuff is thrown at you, forgive. To my white brothers and sisters in Christ, follow and listen without comment. Be quick to listen and not just hear, but listen. The other thing is expand your circle. Friend, your friends, your circle of friends and family should continue to look like the church, which should continue to look like heaven. So expand your circle. And the other thing I would say is that during the holidays, we're coming up to the holidays where you'll see some extended friends and family possibly when comments are made or when things are brought up that you would normally just shrug off or apologize for or even laugh at, I've done the same thing, put, maybe put a little effort into maybe talking to that person and saying why those comments can't stand about how we need to, we need to start continuing this conversation and you might be the only voice in their life that they'll listen to about these matters. And then to the church. We have to be on the forefront of speaking up for the outcasts, the neglected, the downtrodden, and disenfranchised. May we not be married to any politicians, political parties, but realign ourselves with the Bible. We have to. Because a lot of times the Bible, Jesus, and Christianity is going to pull us out of our political party on certain issues. We have to be aware of that, and we cannot be afraid of it. James 2, 8, and 9 in closing. You, the whole chapter is really good, but James 2, 8, and 9 is written by James, the brother of Jesus, to Jewish churches 
um, as a warning um, against partiality, prejudice, and racism. And I would say even remaining silent can be thrown in there. Remaining silent about these issues will not work. Um, but I'll, I'll, James 2, basically that whole chapter, if you want to go back through and read that later, would be great. Um, but in closing, I just want to read um, a text um, from good old Nicole Nordeman. I don't know if you guys know of Nicole Nordeman. Um, but this is a, a recent text that I saw that I, I thought would be a good ending to this. Um, okay. Um, so I'm just going to read this text and then pray, um, and then we can be dismissed. Um, but I thought this was a good just kind of wrap-up of, of everything, kind of going and finishing this week and into next week. It says, in Christ there is no other, no them, no Jew or Gentile, only us, only we, not their children, ours, not that crisis, mine. Can't build fences in someone else's kingdom. We can't lock doors you don't hold keys to. Can't make guest lists for someone else's table. Be astonished at your own invitation. So I, can, I, I hope that this conversation just kind of spurs on more conversations. Like I said, the church needs to be on the forefront of speaking about these issues in a loving way and listening.